Over the last few Sundays together, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the book of Nehemiah. And those of you who are familiar, familiar with the story of Nehemiah will know that Nehemiah had been called of God to impact and influence and transform the heart of the ancient city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, as you have known over these last few weeks, have been, has been incredibly dedicated and committed to the reconstruction of the outer walls of Jerusalem and to restore the city of Jerusalem, not simply to its past glory, but to a place where families can put down their roots and grow and develop together and be a city with God at the center of it. And so all of that we've been studying the last few weeks, and we are coming to chapter 8 this morning beginning at verse 1. And we read these words. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So in the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion, and beside him to his right stood, and then Nehemiah records uh, the names of some of the significant leaders in Jerusalem. And then we jump to verse 5, and Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And then in verse 7, we have an in incredible detail, the names of the Levites who were present. And then in verse 8, they read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the Lord. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy good food and, food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, if you were with us last week, I'm giving you a quick summary, so please forgive me. It's helpful now and again to stand back for a moment and get an update you remember we said last Sunday morning, almost towards the end of our study, if the middle of chapter 6, the construction project is complete, the roads are clear, there is fresh water 
sewage system is in place. Houses are being built. The exterior wall is complete. The gates are in place. The nearby towns and villages were feeling the ripple effect as people then began to build their own homes, recognizing that there was a future for the nation of Israel. And if all of that was taking place, why doesn't the book of Nehemiah finish at chapter 6? Why doesn't Nehemiah simply write in his journal, and the people lived happily ever after? Amen. Because Nehemiah knows this, that a construction project alone is not the climax of the purposes and plans of God. Because whenever God does something extraordinary, when he grants to a people an opportunity to impact and transform a city, he understands what architects and civil engineers and construction crews know Here in Greenville, as the Greenville Health System built a new hospital, or Greenville County built a new school, would they at the end of this carefully planned, wonderfully constructed school or hospital, would they say, thank you, the job is done, we are satisfied, and go home? No. Because we know that a hospital is built with people in mind. People who have been injured. Those who have been traumatized. Those who are seeking to be healthy and well again. It's purpose built. Likewise with a school. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars spent on a school. Why? So that the school can be a resource for parents and grandparents to watch their children influenced and impact and growing and learning and maturing at the right age and stage in order that they will move into their teen years and early adulthood as they grow and develop. Buildings in and of themselves are opportunities to impact and transform lives. And that's what Nehemiah understood He understood that the rebuilding of Jerusalem itself was not the end of the project. God had now granted them an opportunity that was much more significant. An opportunity of greater importance that they might create not simply a new city, but they would create a moral and spiritual heartbeat for a nation. That's what was going on. That's why God was at work in such a dramatic manner. So having said all of that, let's begin to make our way towards chapter 8. But I have one more thing to share with you before we get into chapter 8. And you can't miss this. And sometimes I tend to do this on Sunday mornings, is jump over a chapter. And if you have your Bible in front of you, you'll understand why I've jumped over chapter 7. Because just as you cast your eye down it, it is a list of the men of Israel. And I'm looking at verse 8 all the way through to verse 25. 
Then the men of Bethlehem and Netophah, verse 26. And verse 20, 39, there's a list of priests. And at verse 43, a list of Levites and singers and gatekeepers and temple servants. And then you have a list of the descendants of Solomon. And following up from the towns of Mela, Tel Harasha, Kerub, and so many others, chapter 7 is, for all intents and purposes, a list of names. And the temptation is, whenever you come to a list of names in the Bible, is to jump over the list of names and continue with the narrative. What was God doing? There's nothing to be gained. We're tempted to think of seeing a list of names. But please understand this, that the temptation to look, to skip over the list of names is simply that. It is a temptation Because what you have listed here is not the kings and rulers of Israel. These are people that we are tempted to think are seemingly insignificant, instantly forgettable. But please know this. These are ordinary people, everyday people, people like you and I, people who have gone through dry spells in their faith. These are also the people who in the last few, 52 days was it? Month and a half? These are the people who have prevailed in prayer, who have willingly stepped up, who have sacrificed, who recognize that God was giving them an opportunity to be the people he is calling them to be. And please hear this and don't miss it. These are the ancestors of Christ. That's what's going on here. And whenever you see a list of names in scriptures, please don't give in to the temptation just to ignore it and move on because what they're telling you is this, that God has impacted and transformed that generation and given them a hope and a future and he can do the self-same thing with us. That's what's going on here. And As you move into chapter 8, what is it that dominates chapter 8? In chapter 8, God brings Clarity, definition, and identity to the people of God. Clarity, definition, and identity. And notice how it begins. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, which was downtown Jerusalem. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And some of you, of course, will already know this, that the Old Testament book of Ezra that comes immediately before Nehemiah, in antiquity, it was on the same roll of parchment. In other words, they came as one book, Ezra and Nehemiah. And so Ezra, the priest, the scribe, was functioning in a very real sense along with Nehemiah. He was going about his priestly duties in the temple. He was supporting and praying for and encouraging Nehemiah and all that was taking place. And so notice again, the people assembled and the people told Ezra, the scribe, to bring to us the book of the law 
of Moses. And what happens next? And please notice, you'll see something incredibly familiar here. On the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon. And as he faced the square before the water gate, in the presence of men and women and others who could understand, and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And notice verse 4, if it doesn't draw your imagination, notice what it says. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. A high wooden platform built for the occasion. What you see in Ezra chapter 8 is the pattern for worship we still use today. That the people of God gathered. They opened up the word of God. They listened to it being explained. And it had a primary and central place in their lives. Whenever you go to a Presbyterian church and you walk through the door, one of the things you will see immediately is the architecture. Whenever I bring couples in here, usually the parents and the grandparents, of some of them have never been in the church before, and as they walk through the door, they stop right at the door, and they take two or three minutes to look around and get a sense of all that they can see. And they know by the very architecture what is taking place. There are stained glass windows which talk of the wonder and glory of God. They talk about Christmas at the back and Easter over to this side. They talk of the miracles of God. And of course, not simply the cross on Good Friday, but resurrection on Easter Sunday and then ascension. They see the biblical story the architecture itself points where? To the front, to a communion table and a pulpit and a Bible to say that we believe that these things are self-evident. We hold to the Word of God as impacting and transforming our lives. And that's exactly what Ezra was doing as he would read and then explain the Word of God and notice what happened. It lasted for four to five hours. And the next time you tell me I'm going on and on and on and on and on, I'm going to refer you to Nehemiah chapter 8. And what the people in Ezra and Nehemiah's day understood is exactly what we understand today. They did not ask for Ezra to read and explain the scriptures, simply that they would be better people. They weren't simply looking for moral righteousness. They were longing to hear a word from God. And in fact, the passage tells us this, that they were so impacted with all that they heard, they began to weep. And cry. And here was God at work, touching souls, transforming lives. 
Because we study the Scripture on Sunday morning, not simply to be good people, not simply to be better people, although that's not a bad thing, but we study the Scriptures to engage with God Himself and have the Scriptures impact and transform our lives. We're not simply looking for information. You and I both know that the diet of John the Baptist, the distance between Jerusalem and Jericho, will not transform the soul. But it is the Word of God that transforms, not simply gives information, but brings transformation. And the impact it had on the congregation gathered that day is that some of them were weeping. They were grieving. Why? What was going on here? This past weekend, we had a new members class, and I was privileged to be there with a number of staff and elders and deacons on this past Friday evening, and we had some 50-plus folks signing up for new members weekend, and they will be joining next weekend and the weekend after. And on that first evening together, we pass around a microphone and we say, tell us a little about who you are why you've come to First Pres and what are you looking for. And so folks take 35 or 40 seconds or thereabouts to do exactly that. And sometimes I will meet individual couples and they'll tell me something like this. They've been worshiping with us the last four or five months. And I will often say, well, why did you come to First Presbyterian? What was it that drew you and why do you stay? It's always fascinating for a pastor to, to hear these things. And regularly, please hear me, regularly, couples will say to me, Richard, not only do have we enjoyed the service, but when we leave and we go out to the car and we sit in the car, we look at one another and become tearful. And I say, explain to me a little about why you're tearful. And inevitably they will say something like this. We have come home, and at last, our soul has been fed. That's what was going on in Nehemiah's day. After all of the excitement, all of the joy of the refurbishment and regeneration and renewal of the city, it was an opportunity for what? To be shaped and fashioned by the Word of God. God, to have him at the center of the spiritual and moral heartbeat of the city, to influence and impact a nation. That's what was going on. And their souls were being fed. And in fact, they were weeping, not only grieving over their own sin, but also for the joy that God brings to a life. In fact, you see it right there at verse 10. And if you underline your Bible or put a mark in the margin, that's one of those verses. Notice what Nehemiah says, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what was the joy? Simply this, that at last the souls were being fed at last, they could feel and sense his presence. At last, he was leading and guiding and directing. He was providing an opportunity after that extended period of 
opposition and criticism and cynicism. Now at last it was behind them. And they were moving forward as the people of God. And the joy of the Lord was their strength. Do you remember three weeks ago and way back on the first Sunday in January, we looked at some spiritual New Year resolutions. And do you remember the first one? What will you do this year to enjoy, to enjoy your relationship with God? And what is Nehemiah saying to them? He's crystal clear in what he's saying. Enjoy him. Be thankful for him. Look at your life. Count your blessings one by one. Thank him for answered prayer. Thank him for forgiven sin. Thank him for persevering with you. Not giving up on you when you sin. Not when you turn your back on him. Not when you are more attracted to selfishness and sin. And then come back to him. And thank him for his persevering and enabling grace. That's what Nehemiah is saying. God was at work in a new, deliberate, intentional manner. And let me draw it all together with some final observations. The first half of the book of Nehemiah is about the rebuilding, the regeneration of the city of Jerusalem. But from chapter 7 and 8 onwards, it is really about something infinitely greater, much more important than a construction project. It's about a relationship with him. It's about digging deep. It's about leaving a legacy. It's about becoming the people of God who can have confidence in him, who appreciate his love, who appreciate his grace, who are seeking to be and shape and fashion and influence the moral and spiritual heart of a city and also the spiritual heart of a nation. That's what is going on right here. Now, how do we apply this to ourselves? The next five or six weeks, as many of you know, we're about to embark on a massive, comprehensive capital campaign. But please understand this. Like the hospitals and the schools I used as an analogy, our new buildings, our new gymnasium, a new worship and art center, a new youth floor, a new children's area, a new gathering space. It's not about a construction project, although that lies at the heart of it, but the construction project births and enables ministry. It allows lives to be transformed. It allows people to put the scriptures at the heart of their lives. It allows them to be drawn into that wonderful, transformative relationship with the living God. What have we been saying over the last few weeks? He has given us this unprecedented opportunity and he's calling us to prevailing prayer. This week, focus on the joy that he has given you. Immerse yourself in it. 
give thanks for it, but also to give thanks for all he's doing in our midst, the opportunities that lie before him. And like Nehemiah and Ezra, we give thanks because the strength of the Lord is where we find our joy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. And we ask your blessing upon us in the coming week. Some of us are struggling with challenges and difficulties that lie before us. Others of us are going through days of great blessing and joy. Father, whatever the circumstance of our lives, allow us, please, as individuals and as a congregation, to sense you at work in our midst. Bless us, enable us to be a people who rejoice in your call upon our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.